We are blessed beyond measure to have, to be able to gather like this in person as the church of God, as the local church of God in Pensacola, Tallahassee, but as the church of God in its fullness as well in this Eucharist. I am also honored and very pleased to be joined by my brother, Bishop Martin Holly, Bishop Emeritus, and also a priest of this diocese, by my brother priests, and by our, my brother deacons as well, my sisters and brothers in the consecrated life, the knights and ladies of the Holy Sepulchre, of Columbus, of Peter Claver, our seminarians who are serving the Mass today, our students, I don't know how they were selected to come from their specific schools, but you're very blessed, very lucky. It's good to have you. And all of you, the, the, my co-workers at the Pastoral Center, many of whom are here today, and all of our, our beloved parishioners in our diocese. It is good that we are here. Before Mass, I asked one of our students, I said, do you know who Norman Rockwell is? And he just said, not a clue, <laughs> no idea. So this might go over your heads, but Norman Rockwell was a very famous uh, painter, you know, he, and, and so many, if not all, of his paintings are famous. They captured a certain essence of the American spirit, especially in the mid-20th century, I think, or anyway, it was before I was born. <laughs> and there is one, I'm thinking of one painting in particular. My father had it in his office. My father was a physician, and he had this in his office, and you'll, when I tell you which one it is, you'll understand why. It's a painting of a little boy who's about to receive, about to be vaccinated or receive a shot. Clearly, the doctor is preparing the needle in the background and in the foreground, the boy is getting ready for the shot, but he's standing on a chair looking intently at the diploma on the doctor's wall, <laughs> as if to verify that he really is a doctor, that he has credentials. Because that's what a diploma is for all of us. It, it, it represents that one has achieved a certain status, one has accomplished their studies. One is entrusted now to practice medicine or law or teach or do other things like that. We have many things like that. Lawyers, they will, after, even after law school, they will continue to study in hopes that they pass the bar exam. And having that certificate now, they are ready to practice law. There are so many things that we have. All of us, many of us have our diplomas on our walls from high school or college or beyond perhaps on the wall or in a safe deposit box. It's very special for us. It means a lot. And those in the military, and we have many brothers and sisters who are serving in the military or who have served in the military in our diocese and around the world, they have medals and ribbons which denote one's rank and one's accomplishments and achievements. Many of you are trained when wearing the regalia to instantly look at a medal and, and detect how one should respond to that person standing in front of you to salute or to... Well, I don't know what else you would do, but anyway, you know how to respond. There are all sorts of commissioning services and actions whereby we set something aside as special and privileged. I'm sure you can think of many examples. I'm thinking also of just something that I didn't even know existed until I was a pastor of a school, and that is kindergarten graduation. That's, <laughs> so you, some of you laugh because you've seen it or you've, you've done it. Some of the kids here have done it. Maybe you did it. I never did that. But it's so awesome to see these little ones in these ridiculously long uh, robes and these hats that don't fit on their little heads, and they're trying to walk in a straight line, and they're tripping over their robes, and their hats keep falling off. But even that is, is kind of symbolic. They're passing over from kindergarten to first grade now. 
This is important for us. These are meaningful events and times in our life and community. We recognize people's talents and accomplishments as part of this community. And we do that to build a good community of justice, to support and encourage one another. But there is one type of commissioning that exceeds all of these, and that is anointing. When the church anoints someone as part of a liturgy or sacrament, something completely new happens. It's not symbolic. It's not a strong symbol or a sign. Something is actually happening at that moment. In the Hebrew scriptures, we know that our ancestors anointed, they used oil, olive oil, to anoint prophets and priests and kings. They were sanctified and set apart to serve the community. Oil was graciously poured over the head of one to be designated to teach or to rule or to sanctify. It was an awesome yet symbolic action of the community. And we see that in, in many examples. You know that King David was anointed when he was a little boy. Remember, Samuel went to Jesse's house. God drove him there and said, the anointed one, the one who is my future king, is there among his sons. And none of his sons were chosen by God until David came in from tending the sheep. And God said, there, that one. And Samuel poured the oil from the horn, from his, from his container, poured it on David's head, and anointed him as the future king of Israel, of the, of the United Kingdom, actually. And there are many examples where priests and prophets are anointed. Elisha was anointed by Elijah, not with oil, but he was anointed by having Elijah's mantle thrown over him. That was seen as an anointing, a commissioning, a very holy and symbolic event. And then, of course, we have that great line from probably the most well-known and well-loved Psalm, Psalm 23, he anoints my head with oil, my cup overflows. Anointing is important and has always been important in our tradition. It is a sign of blessing, of love, of commissioning, of being chosen by God. Thus we have, we read today or heard proclaimed Isaiah 61, that very pivotal and key passage in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Scriptures, which talks about and anticipates the coming of the Messiah, the Christ, which means the Chosen One. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me. Isaiah, the prophet, puts these words in the mouth of the future Messiah. And indeed, Jesus did speak those words later. But two things we learned just from that one sentence, that one, the opening line, if you will, of that great proclamation. One, anointing is an action of the Holy Spirit. It is God himself who comes to us and anoints us. The Spirit of God gives us this calling, this commissioning, this sacred and divine new life that we share with him. And secondly, that it is done not for our sake, but for the sake of being sent outward. That's why we are anointed. We are anointed by the Holy Spirit to be sent outward into the world, to be like Christ in the world. And so in the gospel, when Jesus got up to read that day, it says he was handed the scroll of Isaiah. I'm not sure, you know, today we look for chapter 61 in the Bible. Hopefully all of our students especially know how to find Isaiah 61 or any other passage. I don't know how you do that with the scroll. Maybe it took a long time while Jesus is rolling, rolling, all 61 verses. But he got to the 61st, what we have is a 61st chapter, and he read those words. Spirit of the Lord is upon me. 
because he has anointed me to bring glad tidings to the lowly, to lift up the poor, to proclaim a year of favor to the Lord. There wasn't anything really unusual about that. The people of Jesus' day knew that passage quite well, and they prayed and hoped and dreamt of that being fulfilled one day. But then Jesus sat down and he said, Today, this scripture passage is fulfilled in your hearing. Thus, he declared that he was the one, he is the anointed, the one chosen by God to bring the gospel, the good news to the world. At the end of Jesus' gospel, Jesus says to his disciples, full authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, that anointing. Therefore, I give it to you. And Jesus breathed on them. He didn't anoint them with oil. He chose to breathe on them. He's Jesus. He could anoint in any way he wanted. But he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And he made it clear that they should pass on that anointing, that Holy Spirit, to their descendants and to their descendants, etc. Here is the difference between anointing in the Hebrew Scriptures and anointing in the New Covenant. Whereas it was symbolic, sacred, yes, but symbolic before the coming of Christ, now an anointing in the sacrament and in liturgy actually brings about what it signifies. I'll say that again. What we do when we baptize a child or an adult or confirm or anoint a priest or bishop is not is not just something we do. We don't just say it. It's not symbolic. It actually happens with the anointing of the oil at that moment. We say it is efficacious. It's a good word for you kids to learn when you go back to school today. Learn efficacious. It actually brings about what it does. Much more than a certification or a commissioning or medals, or even a diploma. Holy anointing sets us apart. It fills us with the Holy Spirit and sends us out to be Alteri Christi, other Christs, other anointed ones in the world. This happens at our baptism and again at our confirmation. For some of us, the brother priests, many of whom are here, the priests whom I love, we are anointed to serve in persona Christi, in the person of Christ who acts and forgives and loves and teaches in us. What an amazing grace. It's almost incomprehensible, but it's true. In our anointing, God claims us as his own. He puts his Holy Spirit within us and sends us out. How is this even possible? It's possible because Jesus declared it to be so. As he anointed his apostles with the Holy Spirit, he commissioned them and gave them the authority to anoint others. And so today, Jesus Christ will consecrate the holy oils that we will use throughout the year. The oil of the sick will be used for those who are infirmed in body or mind or spirit to bring them strength and forgiveness of sins. The oil of catechumens will be used to anoint those who are about to be baptized or soon to be baptized. This is a powerful anointing as well, for it extends the power of the exorcism prayer that will be prayed over that person at baptism to be able to withstand the forces of evil and to become temples of the Holy Spirit. And then, of course, there is the sacred chrism, which we will use throughout the year to baptize. Many we will baptize next Saturday at the Easter Vigil in all of our parishes here, but to confirm as well to ordain priests and to dedicate altars and new churches as well. 
Listen to the prayers of the blessings as I pray them out loud in the name of, of, the, of Jesus Christ and this church, especially the prayer over the chrism. Notice how special this is, especially the chrism. Before we pray over it, it will be brought, all the oils will be brought forward. I will prepare the sacred chrism by pouring in that wonderful fragrant oil, balsam. And I hope we use a lot. I love that smell, and I know you do too. It's, just, it's the odor of sanctity. And then I'll stir it in with the holy spoon. Maybe it's not a holy spoon, but <laughs> I will stir that in. And then, this is very unique, it says the bishop may blow over the oil, may breathe on the oil, symbolic of what Jesus did, how he anointed his apostles. He anoints all of us as well in the sacred chrism. And then I and my brother priests will pray over the oil, asking God to make it sacred chrism. Reflect on your baptism and your confirmation if you have been confirmed and baptized. You are really and truly set apart for service in the church. Let this be a time of renewal for you. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon you. And now I just wish to turn to our priests. As I said at the beginning, did I say this? I say this always. Where would we be without our priests? Where would we be? How would we celebrate the Eucharist? We couldn't. How would we know that we are forgiven by God? We couldn't. How would we be able to ordain others for service in the church as deacons, as priests, as bishops? We couldn't. Thanks be to God. We have our beloved priests here who, when they were anointed, they stretched out their hands to be anointed. It is like they put their lives on the line for you and all of us so that you and I could be lifted up, so that we could be forgiven so that we could be sanctified, so that we can receive the very body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. Where would we be without our beloved priests? Brothers, thank you for your ministry, your perseverance, your yes. I am proud to serve alongside you, and I love you. And I wish to close not with my words, but the words of our Holy Father, who also I preached this three years ago at a chrism mass, but I believe he was talking, especially at this point, to us priests. I'll close with the words of Pope Francis from the chrism mass, 2019. I confess to you that whenever I confirm and ordain, I like to smear with chrism the foreheads and the hands of those I anoint. In that generous anointing, we can sense that our own anointing is being renewed. I would say this, we are not distributors of bottled oil. We have been anointed to anoint. We anoint by distributing ourselves, distributing our vocation and our heart. When we anoint others, we ourselves are anointed anew by the faith and the affection of our people. We anoint by dirtying our hands and touching the wounds, the sins, and the worries of the people. We anoint by perfuming our hands in touching their faith, their hopes, their fidelity, and the unconditional generosity of their self-giving. The one who learns how to anoint and to bless is thus healed of meanness, abuse, and cruelty. Let us pray, dear brothers, being with Jesus in the midst of our people is the most beautiful place to be.
May the Father renew deep within us the spirit of holiness.